You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. In this episode, I have Colton Conrad on the podcast. We dive into how we met, and he shares an excellent elk hunting story. And then I also have Steve Walls of Shield Mountain Outdoors Elk Calls, and he shares one of his elk hunting stories as well. I hope you enjoy the show. I guess you know, go for it. (laughs) We're we're live? We've been live and recording. I could put this whole thing up. Hello? It's me, Colton Conrad, redneck extraordinaire, born and raised in Craig, Colorado. Been chasing elk since I was in diapers. That's who I am. (laughs) And that's why I have him on the show, because it's very extraordinary to have somebody on here that has been chasing elk since they were in diapers. Obviously, you all know me. I'm your host, just a little bit north in Bags, Wyoming from Craig, Colorado. And today, we are just going to shoot the shit about how we met and how things have kind of escalated from there. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. How we, how we met is pretty epic. I agree. Epic. I, I was, didn't, wasn't really interested in all the girls in Craig, so I decided <laughs> that I should date a girl in Bags, Wyoming, which is named after the women <laughs> in Wyoming. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, I was dating his cousin. <laughs> and uh, got a, <laughs> got invited to their homecoming, which was Bags is tiny. Like Craig's small, but Bags is tiny. I think there was twelve kids at homecoming. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we have uh, three hundred and fifty people in our town. Not three hundred fifty thousand, like three hundred and fifty. <laughs> Dude, didn't we have to DJ your own homecoming? Like change the songs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so homecoming ended up being all of us guys just shooting the shit about hunting and at that time i think zach and i were the only ones in that part of the world that were bow hunters like you were an outcast if you like to get close to the animals you had to shoot them from 800 yards away with your 300 rum you know that was that was the cool thing and we were we were kind of the outcast like i didn't even know anybody that bow hunted except for Zach. so we kind of hit it off right from there yeah and pretty much. Uh, Dude, do you remember when you used to come up to? We used to shoot in bags, and we'd have we could shoot forever because there's nobody around. But I lived in Craig, which Craig's small too. I mean, it's not bags, but there's like eight thousand people. <laughs> yeah, and so we used to we used to shoot our bows in my alley, but we wanted to like get further back, so we would shoot over the trash cans, over my parents' cars, and drop it into the target by the shed. Of course, my parents weren't here for this, zinging arrows over my dad's truck hood and stuff. Oh, man. 
good times, buddy. <laughs> they probably and then and then we devoured Thanksgiving dinner leftovers, and they probably if they had known that I was out there enticing you to do that shit, they probably would have never invited me back for Thanksgiving leftovers again. Oh, <laughs> uh, we were little heathens even back then, buddy. Hey, but that's the way it goes. It's, it's a good thing. Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. So yeah, we kind of, kind of reconnected and wanted to do a start doing some podcasts together. Just a couple good old boys that that grew up hunting and are into the real deal. Probably nobody's ever heard of me, but we've been bow hunting forever, man. Yeah, well, and that that's like I told you. I I uh, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that people have heard of. And, but I don't really understand how they got where they are. Um, on that flip side, there's a lot of people that have earned it, obviously. Um, but I, I really like having people like yourself on the show that are kind of the ones behind the scenes that are working harder than the ones on the scenes. Because, um, I mean, you're going out there, you're making it happen. Uh, I, I don't even know how many elk you've shot with your bow and i know you've shot other animals too but like the elk statistics is something like five percent of bow hunters kill an elk you know wow. so you're going out there and the majority of years you're killing an elk with a bow and that right there is huge you know so i'm i'm not all about names i'm all about people that are putting in hard work and people that are doing what they say they're doing and that's exactly who you are colton you're there's there's no there's no lies, there's no backstabbing, there's no, well, I'm going to tell you I'm doing this, and then I'm going to actually go hunt this private ranch. There's none of that shit happening with you, and, and I respect it a ton. So um, I, don't, I don't really care if anyone knows you. They're going to get to know you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, buddy. I'm pretty sure you're saying that because I didn't end up marrying your cousin, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd welcome you to the family with open arms. Oh, that's awesome! No, thanks, buddy. Yeah, no, I mean, oh, man, I've been, I've been loving this sport since I as far back as I can remember. I, I remember, dude, one time I literally, kind of, I don't know, didn't have my driver's license. I wouldn't say I stole my parents or my dad's truck, but somehow I ended up in my dad's truck driving myself out to go hunt miraculously. Yeah, when I yeah like. 16 before I had my driver's license driving to the flat tops to go backpack in three miles and bow hunt elk. And, and, and once I got back in there, I was scared shitless, dude. Like, and that's, that's when I was like reading the Cameron Haynes thing. And I'm like, Oh, I gotta go ultra light. I'm going to do a bivy sack. And so I'm sleeping in this bivy sack and there's elk or whatever walking around me at night. And I, I didn't sleep a wink, but, Got into the elk the next day, and man, just I think that one experience I, I got I got like fifty yards from a pretty good six by six. Didn't get a shot, but he was bugling with his cows, and they ended up they ended up kind of milling around. I had to turn on my flashlight to get back to camp because I was scared, and they blew out of the valley. Didn't see another elk after that, but I don't know, man. It's just it's just times like that, you know what I mean? That's what it's about. It's not about you know, the attention of the sponsors, it's, you know, it's, it's got to run deeper than that. You know, don't you agree? Oh, I agree completely. It kind of, just like we've talked before, I think the meaning of pro staff doesn't really mean jack shit anymore. Um, seems like anybody and their dog can, 
go in there and say something and before you know it they're pro staff and then you try and go hunting with them and a they can't keep up and b they don't even know what an elk looks like <laughs> they shoot the llama it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they're good at selfies oh uh. dude so good at selfies and that is something that i need to work on i have come to the conclusion that to get me over the top i have got to work on my selfie game Bro, some selfie sticks and hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag uh, selfie experience. <laughs> oh, man. But no, I guess we're going to start out. I'll kind of explain my elk hunt I had this year. And uh, Zach will probably, you can probably put some, some pictures on the podcast huh, of, the, of the elk so people can see or they can they can you go know, on to my Instagram. All of, all of my social media, I mean, I'll link to your Instagram in the show notes. Um, but all of, uh, like all of my social media posts, uh, will be a picture of you with your elk, uh, when it's, when it's talking about your story, obviously. Um, so they can see it that way. Obviously check the show notes out, uh, if you want to know more about Colton. Um, other than that, you could probably put pictures in on the podcast. I don't know how to, though. We'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) But no, man, I mean... For me, this season started, uh, Aaron Snyder and I became really good friends once I moved to Denver. Uh, he's, he's probably a pretty big name. He's, yeah, he's, he's like my older brother, man. We, we spent so much time together, you know, just training to backpack hunt. Like people think him and I are, are probably nuts and Frank will go and throw heavy packs on and just go hike around Red Rocks until we almost puke and then go eat a bagel. I mean, <laughs> it's probably absurd, but live and breathe it. You know what I mean? And yep. the sitting in Moe's barbecue, you know, planning our hunt for this year because we had the season last year and going back and forth, just, just the planning, you know, oh, let's do this. Oh, well, last year's pretty epic. Should we do that? And couldn't make a decision until night of draws. Ended up putting in for a spot that takes about one year to draw, and, and we both got it. Spent the summer. Oh man, we decided we decided we were gonna do trail cams and tree stands this year. And Aaron has some tree stand experience. I have neither trail cam or tree stand experience. <laughs> if people saw us like Midwest guys hanging these tree stands, Zach, they would have shit themselves. <laughs> Dude, we're like we're like cliffhanger hanging on with one hand, trying to hang a stand in the other. I don't know what the hell I'm even doing or where the straps go. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same way that I hang tree stands. We probably get along. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's like, oh my god, we're th- we're three we're three miles in, like bushwhacked in three miles, not not trail three miles. So, like, if you fell, you're probably not gonna get out. But whatever. So. <laughs> Living life on the edge. <laughs> that's right, buddy. And then we got all these different trails, like borrowed trail cams. Uh, got all these different trail cams and we set them up and what we learned about trail cams is some really suck <laughs> and some don't work at all. <laughs> and, and some just take pictures of moving leaves. But we finally found like like stealth cams, dude. Those cams up and some big bull. So we oh, hold on. Over at my stand that was like my, all right, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I for some reason it is like really uh, 
really uh like cracking up. What the fuck is, is the it me? Here? No, I'm sure it's me because like I told you my dial up. Dude, you've got dial up? No, I'm kidding you. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You guys just barely got electricity. <laughs> okay, okay. So, stealth cams are the only cameras that you guys got to work for you. Okay. So, anyway, we got this one bull on there. Perfect. And he became my, like, white whale. Like, Captain Ahab's white whale, you know. It's probably a 350-inch, 340-inch, 6x6. And so Mm. it was my mission. That just turns me on. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, (laughs) turns out trail cameras are probably a bad idea for me because you end up chasing your white whale for too long. (laughs) So, uh, So anyway, the season started out. We went in there and, uh, Aaron and Brian were going to film their hunt, and I was just kind of doing my own thing, chasing the white whale. And uh, we sat in a tree stand the first day. <laughs> oh, dude! And I've never, I never sat in a tree stand before. <laughs> like I, I, my tree stand, once I hung it to make sure it wasn't going to fall out of the tree, and was holding onto the branch to make sure I wasn't going to die because I was, you know, didn't trust it. So. <laughs> We got a little late start because Brian was fiddling with his camera stuff, and and uh, by the time he was he's from Oregon, so he's down at a little bit lower elevation too. So I think he was struggling a little bit getting up to where Aaron and I had the tree stands. So anyway, by the time we got up there, it was light, and I'm like, oh man, these elk have been coming in at first light. So I'm trying to get up to the up to my stand or whatever. And then I get up there, and I hook, and I take way too much stuff day hunting. So I'm trying to pull my bow up and my pack up, and I don't know how much it weighed. I'm trying to pull it up with paracord. And by the time I get the thing up to the stand and I hang my bow and get an arrow in it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I always see these Midwest guys put an arrow in and their bow first. So I did that. And I'm like, oh, man, where do I put my pack? And I'm like, oh, I didn't put a hanger for it. I didn't think of that. So I'm trying to break a branch off to hang my pack. I'm lifting my pack up over my bow, and I look down. There's a bull standing there. And I'm, like, halfway over with my, my pack over my bow, and I look, and there's a bull. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> Not a shooter bull, but so I somehow get my pack on there. Bull standing there, dude, looking up in the tree. Probably never even seen a person in a tree. I don't know. <laughs> completely oblivious to the world. Like, didn't even care. I think that's how all new bow hunters should bow hunt elk. Just hang a tree stand and wait. No. <laughs> Freeze your ass off like I did. So, <laughs> it, so this first bull comes in and uh, he kind of wanders off. Two more bulls. I started. I started cow calling, and two little ragtops came running up the valley, and they came in to thirty yards, and I passed on these bulls too. I, I had it out for the white whale I had on the trail camera. Mm-hmm. And little did I know chasing the white whale would end up in 15 days of hunting in about, well, I think I lost, oh man, 10 to 15 pounds and I didn't have 10 to 15 pounds to lose. <laughs> <laughs> so like concentration camp elk hunting. Uh, so anyway, I sat in the stand the first day passed and then, just froze my butt off up there, dude. Like, 
it wasn't cold, but just sitting in a in a tree, I I don't know. You've sat in tree stands. You just there's just something about sitting in a tree that you just automatically get cold. <laughs> Dude, I froze my ass off in Pennsylvania one year. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, it was so cold. I don't. I like. I couldn't feel my toes. I couldn't feel my fingers. I couldn't feel my face. I it sucked. But anyways, I so I understand. <laughs> yeah. So passed on those bulls, came down, we all kind of met up, talked about the day, and then I I hiked up to the top of the mountain that night and didn't didn't see many, many bulls, and that was the first weekend of the hunt. They were really slow to get in the rut this year, really slow, and it was really thick timber and uh, aspen kind of patches, but really thick where I was hunting this year. I think that's why the bulls get so big is it's if they're not talking, you're, you're going to have a hell of a time getting into them. Mm-hmm. So went back in Memorial Day weekend, that second week of season, planning on taking the whole week off and uh, getting it done that week. I went in there solo. Uh, I hiked in after work. Zach and I both have jobs, so we're, you know, we gotta we gotta get in the woods when we can. So by the time I got to the woods, it was freaking dark. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best work walking and my best camp set up in the dark. Come to find out. <laughs> oh, dude, you get good at it, no doubt. Just just do not let your headlamp die. Yeah, <laughs> I used to actually do it all without a headlamp. Oh man. Yeah, you... I don't know what what the whole thought process was there, but yeah. Then I, got lost, then I got lost one night without a headlamp, and then that kind of put the kibosh on it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I I got lost trying to use my – anyway, I'll, I'll tell about that then. But. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Oh, man, so we're real in here. there in the dark. <laughs> we're real on archery maniacs. We tell it like it is. So Hell, yes, we do. <laughs> So, dudes, I start hiking in there, and it just starts downpouring, like downpouring and lightning all around me. I was struggling to find where my where my camp was because I thought this year I would supplement my GPS for a GPS watch and just <laughs> run off the watch. And it and it works, but doesn't work good. So I got like all twisted up and turned around and. Oh, man. So by the time I got into camp, it was pitch black and uh, just lightning booming and raining on me. Finally get camp up, and I'm and I'm not the biggest fan of lightning. That's the one thing that freaks me out in the backcountry, and I got lightning cracking all around me. <laughs> I was out there in the, that exact same storm in Colorado, just in a different area, so I remember you remember it oh dude <laughs> i had hail and lightning and i was stuck under a rock shelf and it was interesting <laughs> man yeah oh but so i wake up the next day and uh hopes of hopes of my white whale so i kind of knew where he was coming down to my stand so i hiked up around him and came through with the with the thermals going waiting for the thermals to blow uphill and uh, once they started blowing uphill, I started sneaking through the timber and uh, slowly cow calling. They were not bugling. What I heard one bugle opening day, and then that was pretty much it. It was eerily silent, like I've never experienced it in the woods. Hmm. And I learned some stuff from that this year, mm-hmm. but I'll get to that later. 
So I just was kind of still hunting, you know, walk 10 yards glass, walk 10 yards glass, and really slow walk. And I, and I found, I found the white whale, dude. He was, he was down below me about 80 yards and he was facing, facing the opposite way and his rack was covered and I didn't have a shot at his vitals. I got into about 60 on him. Couldn't get a shot. Tried to sneak in a little closer. A cow that he was with spotted me and they kind of, the bull never saw me. They kind of spooked off. So headed back to the camp and then was going to go back after them that night. So I hiked up the mountain at night thinking they kind of fed downhill embedded in these thick pines. And I was going to go through one thick pine patch to the, the big thick pines where I thought the bull was. And as I was coming through the pines, moving too fast, kind of frustrated that the elk weren't talking. I ended up blowing the white whale out of the thick pines, dude. And, uh, he kind of, he didn't, he didn't hear me or he heard me. Sorry. He didn't see me. I cracked a stick. He got up. He started to, he started to wander off and I cow called and stopped and I drew my bow <laughs> walking through the trees. Couldn't get a shot. Blew him out. Totally, you know, just defeated. Like, what did I do? Came back to camp that night. Woke up in the morning, went back up there, was going to give it one last crack at the white whale for that trip. And then I, I just, this was Monday. I just knew that the elk weren't having it yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They just, the rut hadn't kicked in. The cows weren't in estrus. I was, I was doing more damage than good by being in the woods wandering around. So I gave it one last shot. At the white whale, as I like to call him, and uh, I set up and I started cow calling, and uh, I cow called for oh dude, I bet you three cow calls, and in a minute he had already come in silent. You know they'll come in like a ghost, and he was to my left about thirty yards. By the time I saw him, he saw me and he blew out. So I packed back out, and uh, on my way out, I was kind of. Like what are you what are you doing, man? You're in here you're in here alone and you're you've got these such high expectations of of what you need to achieve and, and for whom. You know, I I don't know if I was if I was doing it for me. If I was trying to get this elk for me or if I was trying to get it to impress other people or, or what. And so after I came out I kinda I kinda realized that within myself that, you know, this had to be a goal that I truly in my heart wanted for me and uh after that man hunting just became a lot more enjoyable i went in the the next weekend with my girlfriend who had never never experienced you know elk hunting before and uh just kind of went in there to have fun i mean she's a beast though she can out hike most dudes that's awesome yeah anybody that's been around her would it's it's crazy she'll she she makes dudes very sad when we go backpack video <laughs> She makes me sad when we do abs. I can't. I can't even sit out of bed sometimes after I do an ab workout with her. <laughs> anyway, we set up camp and it was full moon then, and uh, set up camp and uh, hunted that day. Didn't see a damn thing. Sat some wallows the whole afternoon and didn't see anything. But that night in camp with the full moon, the elk just went ape shit. Just four bulls all around camp, just tearing up trees, bugling. One got probably 20 yards from the tent, and just to see her 
excitement for that, you know, never experiencing something like that mm-hmm. made it all worthwhile. So we uh, we woke up the next day and uh, the wind started blowing instantly right as it got light, started swirling and all the elk were gone. And uh, that was kind of that weekend trip. I delayed my vacation again, knowing that the rut still hadn't really kicked in. And uh, fast forwarding, kind of passed a couple more hunts or one more hunt on the weekend. I had some buddies that were in there that I knew that uh, had a wall tent set up, three of them. And I was like, you know what? Why am I out here, you know, hunting alone during the week? I I could be hunting with these guys and having a good time. So I I gave them a a ring, and they're like, yeah, man, come on over. And, dude, I had such a good time with Casey, Joe, and Kyle, man. They're just a hell of a group of guys. They they ended up already having a bull down in camp. Casey shot a a real nice six by six. And uh, so anyway, we kind of of would all group together at night and formulate plans because we were at a base camp now. I wasn't backpacked in we'd formulate plans of where we were going to go and we would all kind of split up and go in about, you know, two to three miles and then call and see what was going on and then kind of group, group back up and, uh, and then make a game plan from there. And at this time, dude, and this is something that I think would be beneficial for people to know, cause I didn't know this year is normally when I would elk hunt, I would, do a locating bugle or an estrus call and wait for a response and then make a move. Well, if you're hunting silent elk, because we kind of got a question on that in the thick mm-hmm. timber, man, it was crazy. I, I would set up for 30 to 40 minutes just cow calling and doing a calling set and an elk would appear. Silent as a ghost. Just, I think they're, they're a very instinctually a herd animal. And even if they're not rutting, just the herd aspect will bring them in. So I think if you're, if you're hunting that thick, thick stuff and you're not hearing them, if you, if you, instead of still hunting the woods, if you just set up a calling setup and call for, I mean, 40 minutes, man. And then an elk would come and it was, it was wild. That's crazy. So and I, I would I, assume just, just quick question about that. I'd assume that you weren't like super aggressive on the calls and stuff like that. Right. No, just kind of, just kind of cow calling casually, kind of like a herd of elk milling around and gotcha. And just you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of what I did a bugle every once in a while, kind of a not a real aggressive bugle, kind of more like a bull tending cows bugle. Yeah, exactly. Bugle. Gotcha. Exactly. So I called in a few rag rag points, doing that, and I and I passed on them. And it's it's hard for me to pass on a bull with a bow. I mean. I did it the year before as well, but most of the time <laughs> I would shoot the rag point that came in, shot a, a small herd of those. So the year before I shot a pretty good bull and I was going to try to outdo myself. And so I passed on these bulls and, and at this point of hiking in in the morning, three miles, waking up at four in the morning, I was starting to, I was starting to kind of question my decision with here the last week of the season and still no rut activity. Starting to really question what I was thinking. Anyway, where where Casey had shot his bull is a spot that I I previously I should have mentioned this that I had previously tried to get into because I had stayed 
in the spot where my tree stand was for so long after that one bowl that I hadn't explored. And I went to explore one day, and I went to drive into this area, and I ended up smashing my running board of my truck into my doors and couldn't get out of my truck. <laughs> yeah. Brand, brand new truck, dude. And just, dude, that was that was like my lowest of lows at that point. I couldn't get out of my truck. Finally got to the spot where I wanted to hunt. Walked up on the hill and found three to four different spots where dudes had, like, took, taken dumps. And I'm like, man, I'm finding more dude sign in here than elk sign, right? All the muzzleloader guys were in there. That was the last week of muzzleloader. So, so that's when I came back in and met up with Joe, Casey, and Kyle the last week of season. Anyway, where I ended up going and getting my bull that morning that I woke up and we were going to go back into the area where Casey had got his bull was the area where I had went in previously and smashed my running board into my truck. So I was on to something. <laughs> I was on to something. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, Joe had to go into town to fill out some paperwork, so Casey decided he was going to go with me on, on this hunt where he had gotten his bull, and uh, hiking in in the morning, we, we climbed up through this through this canyon, and we got up on top, and there was a bull just going crazy, chasing cows, busting trees down. I could I could see him through the trees up on the bench just going absolutely crazy. First rut experience of the season and I'm jacked. Mm-hmm. Like here we go. <laughs> so I start sneaking sneaking down, dude, and Mother Nature just hits me. Like you, I got to I got to do a number 2 right now. <laughs> I'm keeping it I'm keeping it PC. I had to do a number 2, dude. Like right now or I wasn't going to make it over to that elk. So <laughs> I I told Casey I'm like, dude, I got to take a shit right now. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, right now. Do you have any toilet paper? So he's like, what the hell? There's a bull right on the hill. So I went and did business, came back. <laughs> Pretty funny. And uh, crept down to the bottom and started sneaking up through the pines. As I'm sneaking through the pines, I'm just slowly cow calling. Bulls kind of went silent once I got into the, into the trees there. And, uh, Right when I was about to crest over onto the flat bench where I figured the bulls were, I'm like, oh, I'm within 80 yards of this bull. And Joel Turner had watched his video before the hunt, and he talked about his bull calling cows bugle. Works mm-hmm. every time. And I'm like, well, what the hell? I ain't got nothing to lose. <laughs> so I rip off this bull calling cows bugle. No response. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, just like, okay, well, just sneak up onto the bench and see if you can see him. So as I'm sneaking, Casey behind me is like, cool, cool, cool. And I, I look to my left, and there's just this big bull rack just coming, dude. Just coming right now. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm three yards short from getting up on the bench and getting a good shot. So I'm like, well, what do I do? What do I do? I just drew my bow, just instinctu- instinctually drew my bow. And uh, he had stopped at the top of the hill, probably 25 yards away, and all I can see is his rack. Can't even see his head. And he's just stopped. And I'm like, oh, no. I got to make a move now, or I am going to lose my opportunity. So I start sidestepping around small pine trees and sticks, trying not to make any noise. And then I leaned out, and all I could see was the elk's neck. And this is the only shot I've had in 15 days of hunting. Mm-hmm. This is it. And I'm like, Okay, this probably isn't the shot that you're going to see on the Will Primos video, but 
this is this is the only shot I got. This is it. I'm letting carbon fly. So I put it right. I put my pin on his nose and then just dropped it down along his neck to get the center of his neck. And then once I got right to the bottom of his neck above the aspen trees, I just boom, released it. Whack! Bull's gone. I'm like, oh, what happened? <laughs> and Casey comes around. Did you hit him? Did you hit him? I'm like, I don't know, man. I have no idea. I'm I'm shaking. You know, this I can tell this bull's pretty good size. And uh, so we kind of stand there for a couple minutes and walk up on top of the hill to see if we can find blood. And uh, we're walking around. I can see where the bull whirled after I shot. Can't find any blood. And then kind of started zigzagging my way out and it just looked like someone turned on the fire hose just blood soaking everything like most gnarly blood trail i've ever seen and so we started following this blood trail and uh i knew that i had you know hit him through his windpipe and that the bull would have to fill fill the lungs with blood so we kind of stopped for a little bit and uh okay i'm gonna sneak forward and uh I'm going to sneak forward and for him to stay back. And as I was sneaking forward, I could hear him. I could hear him coughing. So I, I stopped right then. I knew he was hurt bad, you know, and we sat down for 15 minutes and then started sneaking forward again. And when I saw his rack, dude, I just, I lost it. Like I, I hadn't worked so hard for an elk that it was just, it just, I became overcome with the emotion. I'm fist pumping, I'm yelling, you know, just true, genuine excitement, you mm-hmm. know, just, Felt so blessed to have taken an animal like that. So we got over to him, and man, it was it was just awesome. He was a really good, real good, heavy six by six bull. Um, and for a lot of people that have hunted Colorado, they know pretty much all units. It's it's hard to get it. It's hard to get a good hard bull in Colorado. It's so I was I was elated. I was glad to have shared it with with some friends and. And, uh, I just, you know, I just had learned a lot from, from the season, what it's, what it's really about. You know, it's not about the inches. It's about the experience and sharing it with people and showing someone new, um, the wilderness and the, and the elk, you know, I was showing my girlfriend and spending time with those guys at their, at their base camp. And no, man, it was just, it was just a really good, it was just a really good elk hunt, you know? Absolutely. It sounds like it. Yeah. It sounds like, and that's cool that you kind of <clears throat> came back to yourself because I think in in hunting nowadays, you know, getting caught up in the size of the rack is is pretty easy to do, um, and and I I like doing it because most of the time that's a more mature animal and it just means that it's more of a challenge. Um, yes. But there are mature animals out there that don't have very big racks. You know, I just – I'm very fortunate where I live that if I wanted to shoot a spike or like a forkhorn or a deer or a small deer or something like that, I could literally just walk out the door and shoot them on the field, you know? So yeah. so I, I understand, though, getting caught up in all that and then just kind of being like, well, am I, am I really doing this for me or am I doing this to impress someone else and to impress sponsors and to impress, you know, to put a cool pickup on – on Instagram. <laughs> right, dude. Right. No, and, and people people need to hear that because that is not what matters. And it's so easy to get caught up in that. And, and I'm as guilty as anyone, and I'll be honest to admit it, 
and and just you got to do it for you. It's got to be a goal that that you want and you truly genuinely want, and you don't give a damn what anyone else thinks. Yep. And the thing that people don't realize is they see a big bull on Facebook or Instagram. You don't know the background story on that elk. Mm-hmm. You don't know if they had a Mossback team of people out there looking for elk before season on a governor's tag. You don't know what tag that person had. And most of all, you don't know the experience or the story behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's got to be for you. And, I mean, when I see a dude that goes out there on public land in Colorado from, you know, that hasn't hunted elk and he shoots his first bull, that – I know what it takes to do that. I've I've been in that guy's position, and I think that I think that's way cooler than than any other guy that goes out there with you know on a private ranching for wildlife tag and shoots a three fifty bull. I think that's a hell of a lot cooler. I agree. I agree completely. Well, awesome, yeah. man. Well, thanks for taking time and sharing your story with me. I was. Freaking excited the whole time you were telling me. I'm just like, okay, what's going to happen next? And now we dive into Steve Wall's elk hunting story. So if you wanted me to talk about one story. Oh, uh, I'm ready. I am know, ready. <laughs> the one that's coming to me. Uh, I got to give a little background on this story Let's first. Let's hear so, it. When I, was, when I was 18 years old, uh, I would shoot over elk i would shoot under elk but yeah the the very first time i ever called let me back up a little further the the very first time i ever called an elk in i was actually up at a place that i hunt close to my house here place where my dad's ashes are from where he killed his first elk so so when my dad passed on we put his ashes up there where he got his first elk kill and uh just kind of oddly enough i i think i was drawn to that area anyways but I went in there, and uh, I really had no clue what the hell I was doing at all. But I just <laughs> had I had a grunt tube, and I had a, a diaphragm call, and I actually had stopped to take a leak by, uh, by a tree, and I was blowing on my call at the same time. And all of a sudden, man, the woods came alive. It sounded like there was a freight train coming at me all at once, and I just lost it. But... You know, that elk literally caught me with my pants down. Uh, I was not prepared at all, and it just completely blew my mind. But uh, so that's just a little background. I had buck fever so bad when I was in my teenage years and in my early 20s that I I would watch. Back then, you couldn't couldn't watch hunt videos. The Outdoor Channel didn't even exist at that time yet, I don't think. (laughs) And... um. So we would go rent videotapes, and I would watch these videotapes, and I'd be like, yeah, right. They probably went and shot that elk because I had shot over and under, like, I, I bet a dozen elk over the course of two, three years. Like, but it was just, I, I don't know, I was I was really, really shook up when they would come in, and I just couldn't figure out how anybody could possibly really keep their cool enough to to stick an arrow in an elk uh, <laughs> i know well but the equipment thing was pretty crappy too compared to what we've got now i mean the stuff yeah. we've got to ridiculous it is and, so uh, nice 
It is. Even, even uh, you know, like the traditional guys, like even their stuff, their equipment is completely stepped up. It's it's cool. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> for sure. So if I was to fast forward the clock, I would tell you that I, I killed, I think I killed a few cows before I finally killed a bull. Uh, but I really was hungry to kill a bull. Uh, my brother and I, we were always out on these adventures and I was... You know, he was shooting over and under the elk, too, so we were both just really frustrated, half not even believing that it could really happen. Like, it just seemed like like the impossible dream to kill an elk. And uh, we were out in the desert, and we were hunting the desert country. And uh, we had been driving around, and we had spotted a few elk. And so the next next morning, we got up really early. Uh, we guessed they were probably just waking up from their beds because it was late in the day. So figured out where they were bedding and, and, uh, we got in there super early before light and, um, kind of worked our way into where we thought they would bed again to see if they would repeat the same process. Uh, there were some hay fields close by, so we were pretty sure that we could, we could pattern them. So we got in there. And, uh, my brother and I, we, we were a little ways apart, maybe 15, 20 yards apart. And back then I didn't know that I should stand in front of the tree, <laughs> not behind the tree. So I, I but that's, that's a really good point. I mean, logical mind tells you I need to stand behind the tree so the elk can't see me or the deer or whatever. Like that's, that's not just you thinking that because I've done it. I don't even know how many. I I can't. There's still times when I find myself doing it. So logical brain was taking over, Steve. You're good. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, So I called in. I called. We started calling, and we we actually spotted a bull on his way up to the bedding area that we were kind of close to. And uh, started calling, and, and... that bull came in, the The wind was wrong, everything got screwed up, and we blew that elk out. But but just about the time that elk took off, we could hear hoof prints coming, like from somewhere. And it was, you know, it's in the desert, so it was really weird to hear these footprints. But we looked way out in the distance, and here's this bull coming from 300 yards away just on a dead run towards me. My brother's back behind me, I'm behind this juniper bush. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the bull just on a dead run comes in, and he stops on the other side of the same bush that I'm standing behind. And then he quarters around the edge of the bush. So literally, me and him are, if you were to draw a circle around it, we're a quarter of the pie away from each other. I can just see the tip of his nose, and and that's about it. Like, But I could... I could probably reach out and slap him on the nose. He was so close. Oh, man. How he didn't win me is beyond me, but he just stood there for like three or four minutes, right? And and pretty soon, man, I get – well, let me back up a little bit. I, I start kind of getting the shakes, but then I see his lip. I see his lip turn up, and I'm like, oh, God, no. Don't do it. Don't do it. Sure enough, man, he lets out this bugle, and my legs turn to complete 
freaking jelly. <laughs> it was all I could do to just stand up. And <laughs> brother, I mean, I find out later, you know, he is laughing his ass off. He thinks it's funny. And uh, so, anyways, uh, I'm sitting there. And that arrow is just rattling on the shelf. And, and this bull, I, I swear to God, this bull, you ever seen a dog when you make a really funny high-pitched noise, how they cock their head back and forth? You know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep. Like, they'll turn their head to the right, turn it to the left, but just kind of cocking their head. He cocks his head a couple of times, and then finally, man, he's like, something ain't freaking right here. Arrow's still rattling on the rest. <laughs> he starts to bolt off. I cow call at probably, uh, I think it was like 14 yards. I cow call and stop him and get a quarter and a way shot on him. Uh, and, you know, we, we track him down. Well, if I back up just a little bit, you know, I, I, I draw back. I get a perfect quarter and a way shot. My arrow flies true. The elk just disappears. He hauls ass. Uh, I go back to my brother and I just fall on the ground. Just, <laughs> I can't even stand. My legs are so weak and so worn out. That whole thing, but I don't even know. I think it took like five, five to ten minutes. I don't even know. I mean, it's so hard to conceptualize time when something like that's going on. But my brother, this is the part that was funny. Cause he likes to, get, he's like seven years older than me. So he loves giving his little brother a bunch of shit. And, uh, he's like, I gotta tell you, you look like Clint Eastwood when that you were face to face with that elk, Clint Eastwood and Don Knotts combined. And I'm like, fuck you. Oh, excuse my life. Yeah. You can edit that part out. You're good. You're good, man. <laughs> but, I, but since then, that's the big joke. I never, I'll never live it down. He's like, you know, you're Don Knotts and Clint Eastwood all in one package, bro. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm more Don Knotts than Clint Eastwood, brother. <laughs> so we we tracked the bull down, and it was just, I'll never forget walking around uh, a juniper, tracking him. Not a lot of blood. I was getting nervous. Uh, and... We walk around the edge of the juniper, and all of a sudden, there's just blood everywhere. You know, where his probably where his lungs had built up, and there he is, just laying right in it, right in the trail. Uh, yeah, probably one of the highlights of my life for sure. Oh, isn't that one of the coolest so feelings in the funny. world when you? It doesn't matter what you shoot with a bow. When you shoot an animal with a bow and it runs off, the one of the. the you know, second to the actual shot of the animal, the the second best feeling is when you find that animal. It's just, you know, oh, it's like the weight is lifted off your shoulder. I made a good shot like I thought I did. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, and there's always a, a hint of doubt in there, you know? Yep. For me, at least, every time I'm like, was that a good hit? Yep. Even though I know it was a good hit, my mind plays tricks on me. I'm like, oh, was that a good hit? Yep. Gonna... <laughs> I, I get a little little edgy about that. Yeah, no, I agree completely. So, with your story, you know, what what do you think is is an is you know an action that you took or something along those lines 
uh, that you feel led to your success and uh, ultimately packing an elk out rather than walking out with an empty pack? Well, I was able to stand instead of collapse on the ground when he bugled in my face. Right. It was pretty, my, I was kind of like doing that Elvis thing that he does with his knees, you know, (laughs) and I was able to not let my arrow rattle so hard that it completely blew him out of the, out of the county. So, you know, I was able to stay steady enough. And then I would say, you know, probably the only part where I look back and I'm like, hey, I did all right there is probably, you know, the second he bolted, being able to cow call, be hot on that cow call right away, really super quick, have my bow drawn because I knew I would have two seconds to get an arrow loose, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having it drawn and, and being able to make the shot. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's really neat that you bring that up because. I've been in situations, kind of the same thing, you know. Um, if you wouldn't have been at full draw in your situation, you wouldn't have shot that elk. There's no way because he he stopped to look to see what was making the noise. You already have full draw and he shot him. If he'd have seen movement that wasn't an elk after he made that noise, which would have been drawing your bow, he'd have took off. So I agree completely. I think you being already at full draw um, when you hit the cow call was a huge, huge bonus. Yeah, so the second he blew up, kind of simultaneously, I drew and cow called. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, obviously... Part of that was just, you know, the other part is just being, instead of going, oh, crap, I called an elk in, getting to a point where, for me, when when the elk comes in, it's time to kill. And and for me, I ran some mental exercises and some other stuff. uh, But I try not to get excited or caught up on it. I try to get real serious, like Clint Eastwood style, you know? <laughs> I'm just going to start I try to get real that. serious. Next time, next the next podcast we do, I'm just going to introduce you. Today on the show, we have Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and <Bart> Thief. <clears throat> as, known, as known as Steve Walls. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's more like Barney Five trying to convince himself he's Clint Eastwood. That'd probably be a better description. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool, cool, man. Well, I obviously look forward to having you back on the show and going a little more in-depth, nuts and bolts type stuff. Um, and I seriously can't thank you enough for taking, gosh, an hour and a half almost out of your evening and sharing uh sharing some how you got started some tips and tactics and stories and everything like that it's i really appreciate it well likewise i really appreciate you having me on here and for the invite and uh you know for me i view it as a great opportunity and i uh, you know heartfelt thanks for that thank you for tuning into the show it means a lot to us but seriously though i really appreciate your ear And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... 
Eastman Elevated with Brian Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.